When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, mate, let's get cracking there. Right, let's do it. Let's shoot ourselves. <laughs> Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rogue Report podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. Gavin, you join us on the back of Sunderland's defeat at the Stadium of Light against Hull City on Friday evening. Unfortunately, Sunderland were absolutely atrocious and got done by a team looking to really contain and, and not play very much football and scrap and. We've seen this so many times down the years where a team have come to Sunderland and managed to win a game just like that. So it gives us no pleasure but to sit here and talk about it and join me this evening. A man who was also at the game is Martin. Hiya, mate. Hello, Gav. It would probably be better just to not talk about this and talk about something I else. I know. Um, what, else, what else can we talk about? The weather is just <laughs> as depressing as the football, so let's not talk about that either. Nah, it's... I mean, we had a, a little chat before we hit record and... I, I'm really struggling to put into words just how I feel on the back of that game. Um, it It's not your typical... So, you know, you come away from games, and it's happened plenty of times in recent years, where we've came away from games and we've been beaten, and you think, for God's sake, how did we lose that game? Um, but with this one, it was just such a weird performance, lacking in any real sort of urgency. Uh, I felt like the players were flat, the crowd was flat, everything was flat. And the man under pressure, of course, is Michael Beale, who at the end of the game, there were chants from the crowd, chanting Beale out. We're seven games into this into this uh, reign under Michael Beale. And, you know, I think the performance kind of exemplified that we're, we're sort of still waiting to see any sort of impact from him on the team. And, and we want to see what, you know, what he's made of and perhaps why he was brought to the football club. But... I, and I, and I think you know from from the off, uh, and I think you're you're along the same lines, correct? If I'm wrong, but I was very much one of the the fans who was like, well, I don't really want the guy, but he gets me best wishes and a clean slate, and we'll see what happens. But there is a a significant portion of people who were never going to have him, never will have him, and that combined with. A litany of issues off the field, all the all the issues we've already covered in detail on this podcast with the Newcastle game, with um, just the general feeling of malaise about the football club off the pitch. It does kind of feel like everything's blending together now. And whilst you look at the season as a whole to date, you know we're we're about where I would have expected to be. It just does feel like we're we're heading in the wrong direction at the minute, and we're we're desperate for something to lift the spirits and this game was the 
kind of the exemplification of that. It was just flat, wasn't it? It was poor and um yeah, I mean if, if people have lasted this long in the podcast and I haven't depressed them enough already, it's just it's difficult to try and put any sort of positive spin on what I saw from the game and generally how I feel and how I think a lot of people feel at the minute, Martin. It's it wasn't great, was it? Let's let's be honest. We all kinda looked at the, the, the problems Hull are having at the minute and thought this is a game we should win and to come away having not scored and been beaten is it, it's a bad result. It's a bad result. We should have, you know, it's, it was a game that was there for the taking, wasn't it? It was three points that were, were on the plate for, for Beal to pick up and he, he desperately needed those three points just to kind of settle everything down and get back on back on track. You know, I think, you know, I, I was like you when he was appointed. He, he wouldn't have been anywhere near my, my choice, but anybody coming in, you think, well, he's obviously been brought in for a reason. We'll give him a chance. And I think, you know, I, I would challenge you on, on the fact that, you know, some people will, will never have him because I think if he if he went on a good run of results and picked you know seven or eight wins up in eight or nine games, people would back him and give him a chance because all that anybody wants is for us to be winning football matches. And I think you know winning covers up an awful lot of things or softens a lot of things or or dampens some some fury that that people have. So I think that there is that aspect to it, but like the um you know the. The problems that we saw last night, some of them were, were there before Beale, right? We saw in the last few games of Tony Mowbray, like the was it the Huddersfield game at home where we got beat. It was a kind of similar type of type of game, the Cardiff game at home where we got beat. You know where we're dominating teams, we're just not able to finish them off, and they get a shitty goal and we we lose the game. But the the whole feeling around the club is just you know the the excitement that we had, I guess, at the start of the season. The, the enthusiasm that we had, the um, you know looking forward to watching games and going to games, it's all been sucked out since, I'm not, since Mowbray left. And I'm not saying it's down to Tony Mowbray because you know you could argue that it was the right time for him to go. And I think you know when we have talked about it in the past, you look at the last few or the last couple of months of Mowbray's reign, and we were in relegation form. So you know it wasn't as if Beale had picked up a team that was really firing on all cylinders and playing really really well and all that sort of stuff, but. You know, the most concerning thing for me is that the players looked it like in, in the shell. And I th- I thought that against Ipswich and last night as well. They just didn't look positive. They didn't look enthusiastic. They weren't playing with their heads up and a smile on the face. They were playing with their heads down and you know, we saw Pritchard arguing, Dan Neal's not quite himself. You can see he's frustrated. You know, he, the end of the Ipswich game he, he was sitting in the centre circle by himself and last night he dropped to his his knees again it just doesn't feel right and I think you can kind of take that from the team to you know Beal being in the dugout to the supporters it, it just doesn't feel right and it's one of those funny things you can't quite put your finger on it mm-hmm. but there's so many things that just don't feel quite right and you know I think yes you're in you're in danger of letting those little things overwhelm you and you know, cascade over you like a massive wave because you know when you look at it really objectively, eighteen months out of League One, we sat sixth or seventh in in the league. You know we probably would have all settled for that eighteen months ago. So you know, big picture, it's kind of we're kind of on track where we would probably like to be. But there's so many little things that are, are accumulating now and you know coming together to to make a big problem for us. You know, and you've got. 
Beal's appointment, as you said, which wasn't a popular one in the first place, but if he hits the ground running and gets a few wins, people will give him a chance. That hasn't happened. You've had the lack of a striker arriving for however long, a lack of a defensive midfield player arriving for however long. And we're, you know, we're three weeks into the transfer window and we've seen no transfer activity come in. You've got the whole Newcastle debacle, which is, um, you know, it's knocked a few points off um, Kira Louis-Dreyfus's popularity, certainly. And, you know, there'll be some people who never forgive Kira Louis-Dreyfus for how that was handled. And I can understand that. Um, and it all seems to be coming together now. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's almost like a runaway train, isn't it? Once that all starts, it's really, really difficult to stop. And, you know, you, you look at Beal and you listen to Beal. Yeah, I was watching him last night in the second half. He barely left the dugout. Dodds was on the touchline yeah. for the vast majority of the second half. Yeah, my dad, my dad like, pointed what, that what? out as well. I, I didn't notice it um, because in the first half, he was out there for quite a bit, wasn't he? He was. But in the second half, you, you barely seen him. And then as soon as the full-time whistle blew, he shook their manager's hand and was straight down the tunnel. Yeah, and, you know, seven games in and he's getting chance of you getting sacked in the morning and, and beal out. And that's that's got to be a record. Like I, I think even the most unpopular appointments that we've had in recent memory, you know, the likes of Howard Wilkinson, the likes of Phil Parkinson, the crowd's given them significantly more time than, than they're given Beal. And I just, you know, I, as much as you want all of this to work out positively, to my mind, you can see how it's going to end up. You can see it's going one way. And you, you look at the fixes that we've got coming up and you're like, I, know. I don't see where we're going to pick up the next win. Now, you know, again, typical Sunderland would probably go and win the three games and everything's rosy. But I'd be delighted if that happens. <laughs> but, you know, I say we probably will, we, we probably won't. And I, I just don't see, I, I honestly don't see where we, we're going to get that run of form. And, you know, the longer it goes on, the worse it's going to get. And, you know, you look at, yeah, three weeks into the transfer window, haven't signed anybody. But if you're a player and you're looking at this going, all right, Sunderland are one of the clubs that want us. You're going to go well. It's it's not that's not a settled happy place at the minute. That's not, you know, an air of positivity. You got Beale saying, you, you know, he wants you to come in and he's going to do this, that, and the other. Looking at it from the outside, how long is he going to be there? Looking at it from the inside, how long is he going to be there? So, it's all come at the worst possible time, and you know, I'm like you. It's kind of like I just don't see a way out of it. Now that that's one of the things after a defeat, isn't it? You kind of you sucked into that you know, that feeling of the game. And after a couple of games, you get a little bit more perspective and you're looking at it from a bigger picture point of view. But right now you're looking at it and you're going, I just don't see a way out of this. Exactly. Yeah, that that's exactly where I'm at. You mentioned about struggling to put your, your feelings together on, on certain things. And that's where I'm at. Like, I'm, I'm, I said it to you before I came on. I'm, I'm just, I, I don't really know how I should feel about all of this because, like I said, I've been generally supportive of every manager that's come through the door, because I think that's just the fair thing to do. But you can just, you can, even when you want to be, try and be supportive and positive about what's coming up, you look at this situation and I think it's very hard to, to see a way out, as you just said. Um, you know, and, and again, you're right. You've just said there about about how that, you, it would really wouldn't shock you if Sunderland managed to, to win a couple of games and for things to, to change slightly. Because we've done that before too, um, but when I look, I, I kind of grouped the next three games together, including the Hull game, and I looked at it and I said, well, you know, Hull out of the three is probably the most winnable. We're at home, and our home form is a lot better than our away form. 
Um, we're playing a team who've got, I think it was nine players missing, including three of their top yeah. four goal scorers. Their best players away at the African Cup of Nations. So you're looking at it and you're thinking, they've got quite a lot of injuries. We we should win this game. They're out of form. I think they lost four out of five going into it. So you're looking at it and you think, well, this this is the most winnable of them all. And then looking after that, you, you know, Stoke, who I think as of recording and, you know, we might, we're obviously recording this before the games on Saturday, but as of recording, they're unbeaten since Alex Neal left the club. So they've had a resurgence. That's going to be a tough game because they're a proper bogey team for us. Every time we play Stoke, I just, I dread it. Uh, and that's yeah. not just because of Alex Neal. They've always kind of been like that for me. And then the Middlesbrough game after that, well, we, we know how, how much the Borough fans and their players get up for this game. And and I just can't see us going to Riverside and winning, given how bad we are away from home. Beal, if, if he can get anything from the next two games, he's going to be lucky, I think. And when you're looking at it like that, it's, it's not a good place to be. We shouldn't be looking at these games and dreading them, but that's the feeling that we've got at the minute. We 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 do feel dread towards some of these games. Like I say, I just this this for me was the biggest missed opportunity so far because they they had so many problems coming into this game. We should have won. And when you look at the stats, they had two shots on target and t- two shots in all scored from one of them. They, they, they never came to win the game. No, they didn't. And you could tell in the first half, like right from the off, they were happy. They would have been happy to to take a point, wouldn't mm-hmm. they? They'd been delighted with the point. And you know the the amount of bloody fouls and bookings they got in the first half just showed you what they were intending to do. Stop the game. They were time wasting from the first five or ten minutes. But you know we we the onus was completely on us to break them down and and get the the win. And, you know it shouldn't come down to a, a corner that shouldn't have been a corner and one shot and goal like that. We're always going to you know, risk those things happening. We need, you know, it's the same as what we talked about previously as well in the Ipswich game. It shouldn't come down to one silly foul being given away. You know, we need to be better than that. We need to be scoring. And, you know, the, the team selection I thought was too defensive. The setup was too defensive. Our play was too slow and defensive. And we we just tried to, I don't know what we tried to do actually. It was kind of like we just tried to match them and figure out what was going on. Try. Like, it was negative is what it was, Martin. Let's be honest. That, well, you know, well, I, well, it was. I looked, I looked at the team selection and I just, it, I got the same feeling I got when we played Rotherham. It looked unbalanced. It looked like it lacked width. I just couldn't see how that team would beat anybody. Really, no. you know, it, you look at the, you, you look at the lads on the bench, and I mean, they're not world beaters, but you, you could have picked a more balanced team that I think would have given them a better game. Yeah. I, I, these, these are all things that go back even to Mowbray's time. Where I'm looking at some of the team selections and I'm thinking, what are we, what, what were we trying to achieve there? There was no width on the pitch. Like we were never, we were never. Yeah. I think this is something. I know I've just said there that this kind of goes back to Mowbray's time too, but I think this is something which Rangers fans did say about him is that he doesn't like width. So I don't know whether that's just his favoured style of play to kind of play narrowly, well, but it, it, it's not great to watch when when it doesn't go right. Well, it probably is, and um, you know that that's been a hallmark of his um, sort of managerial career so far. And, you know, he's in the position where we can't leave out Jack Clark. So he's got to play with a winger. But, you know, the team that we selected and the style of play that we, we put on show yesterday and, and, you know, in other games as well, with that sort of lack of width on the right, 
all that's happening, like, the game's getting dragged over, the clock's away playing everything through clock, the game's getting dragged over, and we haven't got anything on the right to, to spring it around the other side. So everything's getting condensed into two-thirds of the, the field, and we've got nothing going on that right-hand side. And it wasn't until um, Pembele and Bar came on the last 10 minutes, which again, like his subs, the timing of his subs, like you can criticise Tony Mowbray's subs all you want with the, you know, the, the Mowbray lottery on 55 minutes or whatever it is. But he, like he's leaving it so late to let anybody have any positive em- impact on the game. And it wasn't until Pembele and Bar came on that we actually saw a bit of a- action down the right-hand side. And, you know, th- we never troubled them down that side at all. Pritchard was drifting in as he's going to. And, you know, we've talked about Pritchard and, you know, the impact that he's had and the positive impact he's had. He was crap last night. Yeah. Every set piece hit the first defender. And you know, we had so many set pieces, had so many corners. And, you know, you can you can sympathise with Beal a little bit because, you know, we, we, we did create enough opportunities to get goals. Now, whether it was the right way of creating them or, or whether you can argue, and we didn't actually have that many shots on target. But, you know, we had enough corners, we created enough possession to, to win that game. But, you know, you, you look at the impact Beal's had so far, and you, you know, I think you said earlier, it's hard to see an impact he's had. It's hard to see a positive impact he's had, I would say, because you know, he's made us more defensive, he's made us more solid to to an extent. But, like, our, you know, there was a stat, wasn't that we saw our XG, the expected goals that were, um, or the goals that were expected to get for each game, four of our five worst XG performances this season have been in Beale's seven games or six league games. And the only other one of um, Tony Mowbray's reign that I've made in there was a Borough game when we played half the game with 10 men. So we've sacrificed chance creation for defensive stability. And, you know, as a result of that, any single mistake we're being made to pay for Mm -hmm. because we're not creating the, um, the cushion at the other end of getting two or three goals. Um, and uh, yeah, look, he's had some injuries. He he pointed he pointed some out in midweek, didn't he? He had Bradley Dack down as an important first team player who was missing. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going on there. But you know, he's got some injuries. But you know, again, the team selection last night. You could have even with the the players that we had, the twenty players that were involved last night. You could pick a number of variations of that that would have made us better and more yeah. balanced in the team. You know, you got Pembele there, who, you know, yes, he's probably match, he's probably not match fit. I think we saw against Preston, he looked as if he was running treacle for for some of the game. But you know, he's had a reserve game last week. Give him a half. He can make five subs. Give him a half, and if he's struggling, bring him off. Start with the intention of going out and and getting a positive result. You know, Barr was excellent last week, and look, I've, I'm not the biggest fan of Barr as as people who listen regularly will, will know. But I thought he had. A, Good game yeah, yeah. against Ipswich mm-hmm. last week. He'll have a bit of confidence after that. Just keep let him keep his place. And it was like you know he dropped Rusin after the Preston goal, and he dropped Bar last night after a good game. And like logically, it doesn't make sense if you're trying to keep these players' confidence up and win them over. Dropping them after they've actually done the job well isn't the way to do it. You know, and then you've got the massive question mark over Job. Yeah, who who is you know. I, I thought he was great at the start of the season. I think he's got a load of potential. If he was anybody else, he'd have been dropped 10 games ago because he's he's completely ran out of form and he looks a shadow of what he did earlier in the season. And I actually don't think we're being fair to him because 
he's he's not playing well and he's going backwards and he's not going to be a number 10 because he hasn't got the, the you know the, the range of passing or the intricacy of passing to to make it there but with crowbarring him into the team to the detriment of our attack and you know there's so many things that you could pick at and like you you obviously do pick at them don't we don't you when we got beat but it's you know there's so many things that he should have tried and you know I think he said I was in, in the Newcastle game wasn't it where he said I looked around the bench and there was nobody I could bring on so I didn't bring anybody on but like where's Chris Rigg he was back on the bench last night he's not had a sniff Bennett would certainly get round the, the back of defenders and get crosses in and give people a different problem to to cope with and I, whether he's you know playing for transfers or, or whatever but I don't know it, it was just a, it was just a bit of a mess last night I think from start to finish with the with the players we've got I don't get it because when logically and this is this isn't just a recent thing I don't know whether this is sort of I don't know whether in modern coaching whether they kind of look at these things slightly differently and they think we've just got to persist with players through through issues or whatever. But like as long as I've been a football fan, if players are out of form and you have another player who play their position, you drop them and you bring somebody else in to try something different, to challenge them for their place, to let them know that they can't just play poorly and, and keep getting picked. With it, yeah. with this team, would it's like you said, the logic's all skewed because... In recent weeks, we've had Rusin come in and make a difference up front. We've had Barr come in when really nobody wanted him to actually start that game at Ipswich, and then he played really well, and everyone came away going, oh, bloody hell, Barr played well. To then drop them after those performances make, made zero sense when you're persistent with players yeah. who are really struggling. And as you said, we could have picked a team which was far more... I could have picked a team, and I'm not a qualified football coach anymore, but I could have picked a team that would have been more balanced and that would have given Hull a better, a better game. We might not have won, but I guarantee if we didn't play a centre-half at right-back and instead played Pembele, who's actually good going forward, that we would have had more width on that side of the pitch. We would have been more of a threat. The balls in the box would have been more dangerous. Everything would have looked better as, as a result. I like Jensen Sealed, but I don't understand why we're putting him at right-back when he's, he's clearly not a right-back. He's a centre-half. And these are these are just this is obvious. This isn't this isn't us sitting there saying he's an idiot for not noticing it. But these these things are obvious. I don't understand when when to me, if you're going into a game as a football coach and you're coming up against a team who are decent, Hull are a good side, but you know that they don't have any fit centre forwards, why on earth are you playing a centre half at right back? Because where is the threat coming from? Carvalho and Tufan never looked like threatening us. Never. No. And they're both brilliant footballers. But they, they, they never look like threatening us. Uh, Lokilo on the other wing, he never looked like threatening us. I, I don't. I, I could have seen that coming a mile off. So why didn't we start Pembele, at least to give us some width on that side of the pitch? Why are we persisting with Pierre Ekwa when he's not playing well? And Jamie Tetley didn't even make the bench. I mean, by all accounts, they're willing to let him go, but I just don't get it. If Ekwa's not playing well and you've got another fit centre mid there, why aren't you playing them? Uh, you, you mentioned Job. Chris Rigg, whenever he has played, looks good. I've I've never watched Rigg and come away thinking he doesn't look ready. I do f- yeah. now. I'm starting to feel like that about Bellingham, where I'm looking at him going, he's uh, you know he's, you said he's he's possibly regressed. You know, yeah, I agree. We've got a lad there sitting on the bench who's a you know maybe a year younger than Bellingham, but he's a good player. And if it's not working, why aren't we trying something different? Starting with Pritchard on the right right hand side of the pitch. I mean, it's just never going to work. He's not a right winger. 
These, these are like these are very very basic things. What I'm talking about, you, you, we've got to address the balance of this team. And and what's worrying is that Beal's not saying it, and Mowbray didn't really say it before him, and that tells me the coaches in the in in the training ground who are around the team, they don't see it either because they're all they're all in this together. They're a coaching they're a coaching team as we've you know we were we were that was made very clear when Beal was appointed. Um. So if they don't see it, then I, I, I'm worried because what does it tell? What does it tell the lads on the bench when you look at and, uh, these are other other players I could mention? Um, Bennett, you 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 name dropped him before. He is, and I've said this repeatedly, he's not perfect. I don't know whether he's good enough, but that's the thing I don't know because we've not seen enough of him. But what I do know is he's different to what we've got. He'll get the ball, he'll run at people, he'll put crosses into the box, he'll work he's hard. He's got a goal in him as well, and he's got a goal. Got a goal yeah, goal you're right. And he's been nowhere near this team, and nobody can tell us why. I think during the week in the press conference, and I didn't watch it, but I've read it. Apparently, it was talked about how um, Hemia, Matete, and Bennett could all possibly leave on loan. Um, they were bigging up my end. He scored twice in the week for the for the under twenty ones. He didn't even yeah. make the bench. But then the lads that were they're telling us could be leaving were on the bench. Well, there's just no logic in any of this, really. No. And and right at the top, you mentioned about the, the the body language of the players, and that is what worries me more than anything. Is that if we were coming away and losing games, but the players were up for it, as I think for most of Mowbray's time they were, even when we were playing shit, you could see what they were trying to do. They were working hard. I, I, there was something not there in this game. Yeah, no, you're it, right. It, there was. Whatever that extra five or ten percent that was used to be there with these players just wasn't there. It didn't exist. The body language was bad. Pritchard, as many people have mentioned on several occasions, was screaming back at the touchline and the bench about things going on during the game. Yeah, there's a bad feeling about the camp that, to me, that I don't believe that they're buying into this guy. And he, it's up to him to win them round, and it's up to him to win everybody round. But when you see what we've got coming up. It's gonna to be tough. Like, I mean, we we what we need to say are sort of we need to say decisions not just from him but from the club, where where fans can sort of rally behind it. I'm not saying they need to placate people necessarily, but like I want to watch a game and go. Oh, I can say that I can understand the thinking behind that. You know, yeah. We we were sat in the pub before the game and seen the team and we all were a bit like, oh god, why is Seal playing right back? Why is why are we not playing with any wide players? There was a bunch of Hull fans sat next to us in the pub and uh, their team news obviously came through at the same time as ours and every one of them were like, we might as well go home. We're not winning the night. We'll never score. And I said, I said, what's up like? And the lad said, oh, we're playing a, we're going to be playing a centre mid up front today because we've got no strikers. <laughs> and, the, you know, they were they were serious. They were they were right down the dumps. They were like, we can't believe we've drove two and a half hours for this. And I said, don't you worry, like, you'll win. I can just, I can tell you now, I can tell you now you're going to win 1-0. I did, I, I did say that the lad playing up front would probably score and he didn't. Um, but I just had this feeling from the minute I saw the team, the, the two teams, that we just wouldn't win. Because yeah. you can guarantee that if you're out of form, if you're missing a lot of players, that Sunderland can give you a helping hand and we'll, we'll play you back into form. And there was the, the, attitude, the attitude on the pitch from the player, I'm not saying that they didn't apply themselves, but I just think that sometimes when you when you really have to dig in, you need that extra five or ten percent to come from somewhere, and it has to come from within, and that wasn't there. And 
I mean, that's largely on the players, yes. But when when a new coach arrives, you're kind of waiting to see an immediate bounce, aren't you? You know, they, they call it the new manager bounce. There hasn't been a new manager bounce with Beal. And I afforded him Christmas because I thought it's a really tough period to do anything, really. And then we had the Newcastle game and then the last two games, which have came afterwards, obviously. But in the, it's been in those two games where I've not really seen... I'm not expecting to see massive changes, but I just want to see maybe an uplifting confidence, a higher tempo to our play, just anything which gives me an indication that they're buying into him. And there's been yeah. none of that so far. Um, and to an extent, I kind of like, you know, Beal took the job and nobody forced him. He wasn't held at gunpoint to take the job. But I look at the time he's taken the job and I just think, what a shit time to take this job. You know, game's coming thick and fast. The Newcastle match on the back of that, which... Let's be honest, we were never going to win. Um, I just think like all of this combined with all of these problems off the pitch and everything on top of one another, it's just the feeling just is, it's, I, I don't see where we go from here, if I'm honest. I, I, I'm praying we get a win against Stoke, but he looks like a dead man walking to me, Martin. I, just, I can't see how he emerges from this anywhere near victorious. I just feel like from the off, this was perhaps not the right decision and that's what we're seeing the result of now is nobody is buying into this. I don't even know if he's buying into it, to be honest, because when I listen to him talk, well, I'm kind of like, <laughs> flat as a fart. It's, it's, no, it's, it's, you compare it to Howard Wilkinson, that's, that's kind of how it feels. Well, it, it does, but I think Wilkinson got, got more time from, from the fans, didn't he? You know, the, the frustrating thing for me is that it wasn't a, Everything's going shit. We need to rip this up and start again. Change of manager, was it? You know, I think when we um, spoke about Mowbray leaving, it was it was kind of more about a combination of factors rather than purely form. Although our form wasn't wasn't great, and you know, t- to us it was, or to me anyway, it was kind of like you know we need somebody to come in and just tweak a few things rather than change things up completely. And yes, it was a challenging time to take the job. But you could argue that was, you know, it could have been a good time because you've got so many games that keep the players just doing what they're doing, give them a little bit here and there. And look, his first game against Coventry was diabolical, but you can kind of, you can look past that, I guess, if, if things that follow show promise. And I think the whole away game was the next game, then Rotherham, and then Preston. Those three games, you go, well, we've got seven points out of those three. And you can see he's tightened it up a little bit. That's fine. Let's, let's, See yeah. what transpires. The three games that have followed that, I think have been diabolical. Like the way that we approached the Newcastle game was just pathetic. We showed absolutely no ambition. We showed far too much respect. And that was on the field and off the field. And I think the off field stuff certainly compounds everything that Beale's encountering. And, and you know, it certainly doesn't help the mood of, of everybody, does it? The Ipswich game, I thought we handed to them on the plate. And don't forget, they were missing four or five starters. So you know, yeah. we handed them that mm-hmm. on the on the plate, and then last night we we handed them a game on the plate, which you know we're playing against a, a half strength whole side who were happy for a draw. Um, and look, I I don't see where he goes from here. Well, I can see where he goes, and it's only it's only one way, I think. But you know, I think you know people say, oh, it's because he's a it's because he's a southerner. We know people aren't taking to him. It's not that because you, you look at you know Bali. Kevin Phillips, Charlie Hurley, three of the 
you know, biggest legends of, of the club in, in recent times, all Southerners. So it's it's not a thing that, you know, Sunderland won't accept Southerners being at the club. That's that's bollocks. So it's not it's nothing to do with that. Is it you know, the way he's come across in his previous jobs? Probably. Probably a, a big element of that, the way he left QPR and how he did at Rangers. But what what really puzzles me about the whole thing is, you know, as you say, the the sort of the write up from from Rangers fans was about you know manager who is quite defensive, doesn't like width, all that sort of stuff. That is completely against the the sort of style of play that we've tried to put into the club, the style of play that Christian Speakman's been talking about, the style of play that we've we've seen, you know, since Speakman arrived. You know, Lee Johnson was a, an attacking manager. Alex Neal was a little bit more um, defensive or um, pragmatic, I guess, but was very astute tactically, and you could kind of see that element to it and of course Tony Mowbray was very attacking um, for a lot of the time and I just don't see where Beal fits into that sort of prototype of manager he's not an attacking coach because we haven't you know we've seen the opposite of that so far we haven't seen any evidence of him being a good tactician we you know we saw more tactically from Mike Dodds against Leeds than we've saw in the seven games of Beal's reign so I'm struggling to see what Beal actually brings as a I know he's not the manager, but as a manager, because yes, you can coach, you can be the best coach in the world, but unless you can motivate the players in the match here, unless you can tactically figure out a plan to cope with the opposition and get the best out of your team that you've got, you're not going to be a head coach. Mm. You're not going to be a manager. And I'm I'm really struggling to see what he is bringing as a head coach. Um, And look, as we've said, like the body language was wrong last night. The players aren't buying into it. You, you can see it. And, you know, we talked, I think, after the Leeds game, where, you know, the players' body language was really good. West Brom Leeds game. So it wasn't a reaction to Mowbray leaving. Their body language and their the, the mood that we can kind of all sense wasn't a reaction to Mowbray leaving. But I think it is a reaction to, to Beal coming in and the other things that are going on around the club. Now, you've got this backdrop, haven't you, of, of you know, speaking out, KLD out, all this sort of stuff, which isn't helping Beal. Like, I feel sorry for him that all of this has happened at the same time as well. You know, I think he'd like a defensive midfield player and a striker. He'd like, you know, the, the Newcastle stuff not to have happened. It makes his job easier and it takes a, a little bit of pressure off, I guess. Um, So you've got the backdrop of all this going on. It just seems that everything's kind of compounding in this perfect storm of, of things that aren't going right. And you know, as you said, you wouldn't be surprised to see a few almost like popular decisions yeah. over the next couple of weeks to get fans back on side. Now, the last time we saw that was Jermaine Defoe coming in, mm-hmm. and we all know how that ended up. So I'm I'm really wary of any decisions that um, are kind of along those lines. And you know, when when Neil was appointed, we we you know we we chased Roy Keane for two weeks, which again would have been a popular fan on side decision wouldn't it yeah. so I'm I'm really sceptical of when we get to this point because they're not making decisions for the right reasons and it's going to be intriguing I think to see over the next few weeks how this actually plays out because I think you know you and I have said a few times we, we can we kind of know which way which way it's going to play out nine times out of ten um hopefully it doesn't like honestly I, I'm I would love us to go on a, a run of you know, nine nine consecutive wins get the whole thing rolling again, and everybody's 
happy because ultimately that's what every single person who supports Sunderland, who was watching last night, who was in the ground last night, who was listening to this, we all want Sunderland to win. That's all we all we want. It's very simple. Um, and I don't think there's anybody who's a Sunderland supporter who doesn't want that. To come. There's not. So we all want the same thing. We all want a successful side. We all want the lads to be winning, getting three points and putting in good performances. And, you know, there's different ways of achieving that, of course, which obviously causes discussion a lot of the time. But ultimately, we all want the same thing. And, you know, I just don't see how we're going to get that in the near future with the, the setup that we've got. Well, yeah, that means a lot there, but um, I think I think ultimately the what you mentioned there about the sort of general feeling of everything compounding is very true, and the next few weeks are going to be huge because you've obviously you've got this backdrop of all the off the pitch issues. Those meeting minutes from the supporter collective meeting are going to appear at some point in the next week, and yep. I imagine that quite a lot of what gets said won't won't reflect favorably. Um, and that's going to cause more sort of issues in terms of the overall feeling around the place. Um, I think Beale's even hinted in press conferences not to expect too much this window. Um, I know Jan and V has been linked with a return, but it looks like <laughs> after the game he was asked about that and he, he kind of played it down, which would be the ultimate sort of way to placate people with to bring back some, like you mentioned before, we did that before, bring back some players who people people actually like and and maybe try and improve the mood i could totally see that happening but if he's coming out and saying maybe it's not going to happen then we'll you know we'll see but um there's that and then obviously we've got the rest of the transfer window like i said possibly we're not going to bring in too many players and then you've got these two games and amongst all of that you've got the, the, the stoke game which has, is a home match and given the way that the the things sort of went sour towards the end and the, the booing and the jeering and the chance towards Beal. Um, given all of that, what's the mood going to be like when we play Stoke? It's, yeah, you know, I'm dreading it to be honest. And then, and then after that, we've got to go to Borough, which, I've, as I've said already, it's not an easy game, and it's not one we usually do well in in recent history because they seem to be more up for it than us, and we've got to be really up for it. And and I'm. You can you can you can tell just how deflated I am. I'm just so deflated by everything in the last few weeks. It's just all come to a head. I I, I mean, obviously there there are fans want rid of Beal already, Martin, and we'll talk about it quickly before we go. But let let's just put ourselves into the shoes of of Speakman and KLD, and they're at the game last night. They've seen and heard everything we did. They saw the performance. Probably got a lot more. Um, knowledge on the actual situation on the training ground than we do in terms of how the players are responding to Beal, the feedback that they're getting from players and the coaches and stuff like that. What do they do from here? Do they double down or do they, are they can you actually see them sacking the bloke after seven games? Or even if we if, you know, they're given the stoke match and, and that goes tits up, can you see them sacking them after that? I, I don't know which way they're going to go with this because, I mean, the, the, we're talking about making popular decisions for the majority of fans, that would be the the thing they want to see more than anything is him sacked. Um, but on top of that, you know, you've got to think that the, the the language they've used around this appointment suggests to me that they want Michael Beale to to be here for a long time and and make a real difference from a coaching perspective. 
And I, I don't I can't work out whether they're gonna double down on it and they're just gonna stick to their guns and they're gonna they're gonna give them afford them time and bring in some players and ride the rest of the season out because we're not gonna get relegated. But I don't think we're gonna get promoted either, even though they've they've stated that's ultimately the reason why Mowbray lost his job. They felt he was trending downwards. Um but I just don't see where this goes. Cause, you know, if they, it feels like we're talking about a manager at the end of his reign. It that that coming out of the ground last night was like when Bruce had his last game against Wigan. And yeah. and it felt no, just like that. It, and you knew he was a dead man walking and he I think he lost his job the next day. Uh, it felt it yeah. felt like Bolton at home and Grayson lost his job. Like it, you, you you know when a manager's about to lose their job, you genuinely you come away from the match and you're like, bro, there's no way back from you. That is how it felt coming out of the ground yesterday. I'm not talking yeah. about like how the not talking about how everyone else was sort of feeling coming out of the ground. I'm, I'm on about myself. Coming away from the ground, I was like, he's dead, meet him, like he's gone. And he's seven games in. So like what what, what do you think's actually gonna happen from you? Because I'm really I can't I don't know. I haven't got a clue, to be honest. I think an awful lot depends on what's going on behind the scenes. And I think, you know, Mike Dodds is obviously a consistent throughout all of this, and he's he's got Speakman's ear. He's obviously Speakman's mate. He's Speakman's person on, on inside the coaching staff. And I think, you know, some of it could come down to him. If he's saying, look, the players aren't having this fella, or he's given some, some other sort of negative feedback to, to Speakman, that, that could play a part in it. But look, ultimately it comes down to results. And, you know, I think wherever we are and wherever we are and whichever division we're in, right, four or five defeats on the bounce puts any manager's job under serious threat. It doesn't matter if you've just been brought in. It doesn't matter if you've, if you're Peter Reed and you've had five successful seasons. Five defeats on the bounce is second territory. Now, you know, you've got the Newcastle game, which... Look, you can argue, yeah, we're never going to win that. That was a game, you know, take the, the derby aspect out of it. That was a game against a mid-table Premier League side who were in diabolical form and we didn't lay a glove on them. So performance-wise, that was pathetic. So you've got that game, you've got the Ipswich game that we've talked about and we've got last night's game against Hull. Now we've got these two games coming up. Stoke at home, which as you say, that's not a, an enticing prospect to go to at the minute. It's going to be uh, you know, the, it's going to be one of those games where it just takes one thing and everybody turns. And completely understandably so. And then you've got the Borough game. Now, Stoke are in really good form under Schumacher. Borough are in decent form. And then you've got the Plymouth game after that at home. Now, if, if we don't win against Stoke and Middlesbrough, does Beal even get that? I, you know, I'd, I'd be, I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he doesn't. And then you've got Huddersfield away. And then we're going to play Tony Mowbray at St. Andrews. And, you know, wouldn't that be a, a very quick full circle of things if, if Mowbray beats us and that costs Beal his job? Because, mm. you know, you, you're only talking five games then. You, you know, for us to be in a situation where we're looking at the next five games and I'm going, you know what? I'm not sure where we're going to get a point from here. Yeah. Like, I... You would have no certainty. You know, if somebody said, right, put your mortgage on where we're going to get a point. No. I can't. I can't. Well, that was, that, that's why the, the whole game was so important because you, you look at everything really, kind of ignore us for a second and you look at them and the fact that they're just in poor form with so many good players missing and you think that was the game. We had to win that one to take the pressure yeah. off the next two. 
and we didn't. And and that that's the situation we're in. We can sit here and, and kind of say, well, you know, if this had happened, we might have won. And if the ref hadn't given that corner, then we wouldn't have conceded. And, you know, it is what it is. These things have happened now. We've we've lost the game. Um, And I think you're right. I'm looking at the next two games now and thinking, if he, if he somehow gets out of these two games with two wins, then it does take a hell of a lot of pressure off. But at this stage, can anybody see that happening? I mean, no. it's it's very tough to see where the next win's coming from. And that's, that's like I say, that, that's the kind of feeling you get when a manager's about to be sacked. He's seven games in. This is why it feels so weird. He's seven games in. And yeah. we're already talking about the, the prospect of him losing his job. We've seen it. In, I've, I've never seen it before. We, we've seen it. Never. Obviously, at, I mean, Forrest Green have just sat their manager a lot further down the leagues than we have. And that's a bit of a shit show there. That's because the manager came out and said a lot of things about his players he shouldn't have in public and then got a got a, a disciplinary from the FA for some touchline antics. And so yeah, I think that was a doomed appointment from the off and he's lasted six weeks. But then you look at the other end of the scale, you, you mentioned Birmingham. Nobody wanted rid of Eustace. They replaced him with Rooney, who was a disaster from the off, and they doubled down on it. He, he, he had something like 15, 16 games before he got the sack, and yeah. they were right above the relegation zone. I, I'm just really interested at this point to see where it goes from here, but I, I think what's clear is, is that, rightly or wrongly, the majority of fans in that ground aren't behind him. And they're not going to they're not going to be behind him unless he starts winning games. So, you know, people will turn up for the Stoke match as they turned up last night. They'll be there in the in the seat to watch the game. But it's all going to hinge on just how the game goes. If we win that game, everyone comes away a little bit happier, a little bit more relaxed. Maybe looking at the Borough game and thinking, "All right, we've got half a chance now because we've got that monkey off our backs. We've we've picked up three points. We've scored a few goals. A bit like probably a bit like the Preston game." Where we, when going yeah. into Preston, I, I wasn't particularly confident really going into that game, having been at Rotherham, and it was a pretty efficient performance. We 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 they were poor, but you know we took advantage of it and then managed the game out. I think if you're going to win games under Beal, they're going to be very much like the Preston game, where we're not going to wow for ninety minutes, but we're probably going to do enough to get a couple of goals and then maybe defend a bit and sit back and stuff. I get the feeling that's his style of play, but that's that. You know, after 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 playing so well under Mowbray for so long, you know people have got used to playing nice football, and it compounds everything when you, you know, you take everything into account we're talking about, plus the fact that he's not well liked already. The football's got worse. It's worse to watch. But, it, it, but that's that's the really strange thing, and that's the thing that you know with with the model that we've supposedly got and all that sort of thing. That's what we're supposed to avoid, isn't it? You're supposed to be avoiding. Leaping from one style of play to another, we're supposed to have a style of play that the head coach enables. And you know, I've been actually quite surprised at how different Beals try to make us in a short space of time because there wasn't a real need to to do too much. Um, and you know, it doesn't fit in with having this head coach model. Like Beals come in and acted to me like a manager. You know, he's talked about wanting new players in, talked about experience, he's talked about making us more defensively solid, and we've seen that on the pitch. That's not somebody who's seamlessly coming into this head coach role. That's somebody who's coming in trying to make a, a bigger difference, and it's not working. And I just, yeah, it's it's in, it's going to be interesting to see what they do, because if, if they did get rid of him, that's 
an admittance of, of failure and it's admittance of a huge mistake. Like this isn't the bloke that went out till the end of the season. He's got a two and a half year contract. So this is this was a long term appointment, as as you said earlier, Gav. So anything that you know, if they acted now or in the next, if they acted before the end of the season, or even at the end of the season, that's a huge admittance of failure. So do they do that? You know, yes. You know, it's it's a fine balance, isn't it? Because yes, there wasn't a great deal that needed changing. However, the problems that we're seeing now, a lot of them existed before Beal arrived. Like we had a, a decent amount of possession. We played some nice football in in short spells last night. We had a lot of you know opportunities to get down the byline and get crosses in, and we just didn't finish. Didn't create the opportunities to finish, and you know we've talked about that previously as well. We've we've had that before. So there's elements of that performance last night that you know the problems existed before Beal. If the club acts now, that's again an admittance that we we haven't solved them with our recruitment. And you know, to repeat myself, we've been crying out for a centre midfield player or two. We've been crying out for a striker for an awful long time. That's way before Beal. So you know. <laughs> If the club acted, they've got to be absolutely confident the problem's Beal and not anything else. And while I think at present Beal is a big problem, I don't think he's the only one. So you know they've got issues to sort out. And you know if they did get rid of him, some the next person's got to make a real difference. Because otherwise, if we get into the same pattern again, somebody comes in, five games in, they haven't hit the ground running what do we do then so it's it's actually a massive a massive massive decision for them to make and you know we've heard them talk before about you know not listening to outside noise being really focused on what we're doing and all that sort of stuff being really focused on the plan single-minded all that sort of stuff and i wouldn't be surprised unless there's something seriously kicking off behind the scenes that they just stick with it for the rest of the season because we're not going down hopefully <laughs> hopefully we won't get so bad that we're sucked into it I just, I just suspect that they might just brazen it out. Yep, it's going to be a long season either way. I think that's the the top and bottom of it. I'm just, but it's it's it's, it's, like, it's a shame though, Martin. Really, because you know what it is. I say that, and I'm being that. That's the honest truth. It does feel like like it's going to be a long season. It kind of feels like I look at the playoffs now, and I'm just looking at some of the. T- it it's starting to. You, know, I mean, we talked about it last week. It looks a bit like a top five now, and then yeah. one everyone else fighting out for one spot. I'm not confident we're good enough to take that last spot now, which kind of makes you feel, well, it's just going to be a mid-table season or whatever. And that is what it is. But it it means it's going to be a long old season. And ah, do you know what it is? I really, I, I didn't know how I was going to feel coming into doing this podcast today, but I'm flat as a fart. Like, and I, I imagine most people listening are. It's just, we, we generally try and be balanced on this podcast. We'll, we'll weigh up everything. We won't be, like I, I'm not an overly emotional person when it comes to the football, so like I'll I'll try and be reasoned with my opinion on things. I'll always try and take it from both sides of the argument. But I'm just I, I just don't know how I feel about all this. I'm just flat. Just And that's that's the difficulty of, of the whole thing, isn't it? And, you know, a couple of signings could could change that, mm-hmm. right? But you you're looking at present for, for reasons to be optimistic and be positive. And you know, from from what we're seeing on the field and what we're seeing off the field, it's hard to to find those you know the, the few and far between. Like you know, if you if you want to 
couple of little positives from the whole game. I thought, yes, yeah, Silk was playing out of position, but I thought he looked good. And like I would love to see him play centre half, and you know, even even last night I would have pushed all nine out to fullback for a, a spell, and let Silk go in centre half and at least get a bit of width that way because you know we've seen what all nine can do at fullback. You know, I thought Hamia looked yeah, decent when yeah, he came he did, on. Actually. You know, that's the first time we've seen him for for ages, and I thought he looked threatening and good. And yeah, as you say, given the the comments in midweek, it was strange to see him being the first change off the bench. <laughs> But I thought he looked looked good. So, you know, if you want a little couple of positives to cling on to. Yeah, we are clinging on that. there. <laughs> and, you know, they, 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 are, they are very small positives, aren't they? But, you know, we've, as I say, we, it all comes down to results. And if we can go into the game on Saturday against Stoke and get three points, everything will just seem a little more calmer, a little more positive, And, you know, gives you something to build on going into the Borough game. Seems a big ask at the moment, yeah. but we'll... We'll see. Hey, like we could get a couple of signings, go straight into the first team for for Saturday, and that provides its own boost, doesn't it, to the players around them as well as to to the fans. So we'll just have to have to see what's what. But you know, talking, you know, we're, we're doing this on Saturday morning after the after the whole game on Friday night, and you know, it's still very fresh in, in the memory, isn't it? So it's 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 a difficult one to to put aside because it was such a big op- opportunity that we we've missed. And it felt like such an important game for for the club and for Beal, and we've we've passed it up. Yeah, and it just makes the next four or five weeks look so much more difficult. I'm 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 waiting for reasons to to be optimistic and for something to cling to and be like, you know, I can see what he's trying to do, but I'm really struggling at the minute, which is why we've ended this podcast the way we have, kind of. Sort of flat. I know you're you're trying your best to eke some positives there, as you always do at the end, Martin. But even me, oh, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. Yeah, it is. It is, mate. Never mind. Anyways, if you've lasted this long with we we appreciate it. Um, well done. Well done to you. We we've got Stoke coming up. We might be back with a podcast for that one. Maybe with some more things to talk about. I imagine with the with the Red and White Army uh, support collective meeting minutes coming out, we might be chatting about that at some point through the week. So let's. See if they drop and if there's any signings to talk about, we'll react to those too. I just don't suspect that there will be, but, uh, you know, stranger things have happened, haven't they? Anyways, cheers, Martin. Thanks for joining us, mate. Cheers, Gav. Cheers to the listeners. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back soon. Sorry that we couldn't fill your lives with a little <laughs> bit more hope and positivity, but here we go. It's Sunderland, isn't it? Catch you later. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps to 
detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.